Father, we thank you for uh, your word, how it enlightens us. And we had asked that you would provide for us wisdom on how we're to live our lives here as fathers, as men, and ask, Lord, that we would not shy away from the responsibility. We thank you that you have raised up men who are strong, men who desire to follow after you, and, and we'd pray that you would equip them for anything that lies ahead. Equip us all, Lord. Through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So when it comes to fathers, celebrating Father's Day, of course I told you that I was going to talk about Father's Day, just like I hadn't talked about Mother's Day in a long time, I was going to talk about fathers. And so the first thing I want to show you is what I have here. Can you read that? Application to date my daughter. And it has last name, first name, middle initial, age, address, city, country, religion, church, and the number of times you attended in the last year. Then it has father's name, number of marriages, number of years, and mother's name, number of marriages, number of years. Then questions, questions one through nine. Number one, do you own or drive a van, yes or no? If yes, please discontinue filling out this form. Number two, in 50 words or less, describe what no means to you. In 50 words or less, describe what late means to you. Where would you least like to be shot? Number four. Number five, which is the last bone you want broken? Number six, what do you want to be if you grow up? Seven, please complete this sentence. A woman's place is, number eight, what is my daughter's name? Number nine, who besides God should you fear the most? Please list three references, name of parent, name of daughter, reason for relationship ending. Special note, if accepted, there will be a $50 deposit when you pick up my daughter. If you are one minute late, the deposit will be forfeited. If you are more than 30 minutes late, please refer to question number five. And that's the one where would you least likely or least want to have a bone broken somewhere. And so, you know, these things, and and if you look up on the Internet, there's a dozen of these that are out there, and some are a little more uh, involved. But this idea of a father and a father who offers protection and guidance to his daughter and making sure that she is taken care of and treated well by those who would seek to be suitors has always been a classic task of every father. And as I talked about before on Mother's Day, there is an intended plan for mothers. And that plan, to remind you, is young women, all women for that matter, would be protected by society until they marry. That's God's intent for mothers and women in general. These women should have children after they marry. And remember, there are always exceptions to the rule. But for the general purposes of who men and women are, these things apply to women. And thirdly, these women should remain committed in one marital relationship until their death or the death of their husband. Now, there's a little more to all that, but that's God's basic plan for women. And there are those that we talked about, the single mothers, the cohabitating mothers, the mothers that want to be mothers. 
or those who want to be mothers, mothers estranged from their children, elderly mothers, and struggling mothers. I talked about all of that. Now, what is God's intended plan for fathers? There's always exceptions, again, to the rule, but God's intended plan for men and for fathers are as follows. Young men, and all men for that matter, and es- excuse me, and especially uh, fathers would be the protectors of society. The women are the ones to be protected, the children are to be protected, and the fathers are the ones and the men who are to offer that protection. That's God's design. These men are also to take responsibility for marrying one woman until one passes from this life. It's one man, one woman, till death do you part. And then these men should raise up children and train them in the ways of the Lord. That's part of being what we know as a man. A man takes the responsibility of a woman and raises up children, a godly generation. Now, again, the exceptions are some people can't have children or maybe there are issues. You know, there's always something that can get in the way. But we want to make sure we just understand the basics. This is God's eternal plan for the family. Now, there are certain behaviors that are culturally acceptable and certain things you would never expect to hear or see from a father. Someone has listed nine things you might never hear a dad say, going from nine to number one. Number nine, well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like I'll have to stop and ask for directions. (laughs) Number eight, you know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for an unchaperoned car date. Won't that be fun? Number seven, I noticed that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. Number six, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy. Number five, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating is not good enough for my son. Five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. Uh, That was number four, actually. Number three, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey thingies, you know, that makes it run or something. Just have it towed to the mechanic and pay whatever he asks. Number two, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. Number one, what do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend, and the number one thing you'll never hear a dad say is, I don't love you. He will say that. At least a dad that is following after the things of the Lord, he expresses his love to his children. Now, God commands fathers certain things to do and certain things not to do and what kind of example are we being as fathers and what will our children remember about us i've talked to my son and my son is in his 40s and he often comes back to me since he has his own young sons right now and he'll tell me how he has sat down and had the exact same talks with my grandsons that I had with him. And of course, he goes, and you know, I really wasn't listening back then. And they're really not listening now, but I know they need to listen. And, and so from generation to generation, we pass these things on. And we want to make sure that the young boys are growing up to be men and the young women are protected and growing up to be young women as defined by Scripture. Now, hopefully, it would be a man who would sacrifice 
and not one who would roll the dice, a man of humility and not one who is guilty, a man of compassion and not remembered for the one who gave a severe thrashing. Now, all fathers are should be the disciplinarians in a home. Scripture is replete with um, verses that talk about that, and I'll get into that a little bit. But one of the best things, and I've mentioned this in the past, one of the best things a father and a husband can do is certainly to love his wife. Uh, you've heard the expression, I'm sure, happy wife, happy life. And so if you make sure that she is loved and that she is adored and she is respected in your eyes as a husband and father, the children will follow suit. And if they don't, that's when you apply the rod of correction to the seed of understanding. And again, I'll give you some verses on that. So we are to love our wives and love our children. And the definition of a father, as far as the Bible is concerned, I'm going to run through several things here. I may read some of the verses, but not necessarily all of them. The father is supposed to be the head of the household. It was never intended for the woman to be in charge of all the stressful dealings inside of a family with where to live, how to provide, all of that. She she was not meant or built for such things. She is the one who is the nurturer. She is the one that is supposed to receive from the husband comfort and be able to relax in his presence and get help with the kids, that type of thing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now today, it's being turned on its head, where some of the programs on television, you see the woman taking the dominant role in making the decisions and not that a woman can't make decisions but if it's in the family unit god's design is that she counsels her husband and she may have a lot more wisdom than her husband and the husband is supposed to listen to his wife just like when sarah gave abraham some insight and wisdom he listened to what she had to say and the lord even told him listen to sarah Now, not always do you listen to the counsel of the woman because she's not going to be right all the time, just like you're not going to be right as a man or as a father or as a husband in the household. But it's God's design that the man is the head of the household, and he is the one that's ultimately responsible for the decisions that are made inside of the household. Now, for instance, in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, like, for instance, if a daughter or a wife, they took a vow... The husband could disallow that vow for whatever reason. He was just supposed to be able to manage his household. If there were plans or certain circumstances coming up, he was the one that could say what could take place in the house and what could not take place in the house. Again, that doesn't degrade the woman in any way. Without the woman, there is not a household. Without the woman, there is not a couple. Without the woman, you don't have the dual wisdom that God intended for us to have. Remember, the woman was taken out of the man on the side She is part of man. And so for the man to neglect that or set that to the side would be foolish if that counsel was given. Also, we are told not to multiply many wives. Uh, This was given specifically to the kings that would 
come up and rule in Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16, it says, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. And I'm not talking about women there. I'm talking about horses. And then verse 17 says, He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And so this is given to the king as a form of wisdom because his heart would be led astray. He would not trust in God if he's multiplying the gold and the silver and the horses. He thinks he's mighty and lifted up and prideful. And the wives, that's enough for any man, as I've said before, one wife is plenty. And in First Kings chapter 11, verse 3, we know that King Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And it was his wives that led him astray. And you could see how that could easily happen because the woman does hold sway in the heart of the man. Also, number three, husbands are to love their wives or not to divorce or separate from them. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the operative three-letter word there is die. And Colossians 3.19 says the same thing. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why do you think he said, do not be harsh with them? Because the tendency is for a man to be harsh with his wife. If the man is, now you all understand this, a man gets focused on one thing and he doesn't like to be interrupted with that one thing, like the remote. He's working the remote. I'm watching something and he flips back and forth between channels, which means he has to change channels in his mind as well as he flips through that. And the wife will want to come and talk about maybe the kids or the grandkids or what's taking place. And you interrupt them when something important comes on the television that he doesn't want to miss right there. And remember before the playback? Oh, that was just devastating because then he would get a little upset that you interrupted something that he wanted to hear and now he's missed it because the woman interrupted. In turn, he becomes a little snippy or snooty with his wife. And so the Lord knew television was going to be invented. And that... (laughs) And that's why he said, do not be harsh with your wife. And a man can easily do that. You know, pound for pound, a man is stronger than a woman. There is no way that what is depicted on television when you get these five-foot-tall women taking out these six-foot-five men, it is never going to happen. And a man, he carries all the power. And the world doesn't like it. And the women don't like it. And so everything is trying to be changed in the media and in the movies. Everything that is out there, the men are dunces or they are just not in, as informed as the women. And they're not as strong. There's not, they're not as adept. But it is, in fact, the men who go to war. They're the ones who are able to bear the burdens. Now, they may be singularly focused, but that's the way God created them. And you all know that women are not singularly focused. If they're talking to you, they're paying attention to the kids who are in the other room or the grandkids in the other room. They have one ear on that and one ear and one eye on you. And so women can do that. Men, not so much. They're not so good at that. Going on. The purpose of the father is to discipline. In Hebrews chapter 10 or 12, verse 10, it says, Our father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And there's a lot of different verses that deal with this. Proverbs chapter 13, 24, it says, He who spares the rod hates his son, 
but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. This is talking about corporal punishment. This is talking about a rod of correction to the seat of understanding. And if you use that, it's tremendous the headway somebody can make when it comes to installing discipline properly. The father who beats their children, he ought not to be a father. The father who has a little spoon, and I know that as I say this, there will probably be CPS at my door saying, did you beat your children? No, I didn't. But even the threat of that thing would send my kids down the hallway screaming, you know, just coming in with that. And so the Lord says, if you don't use that type of discipline, you hate your children. And last week I was talking to somebody. They, they had um, family over for the weekend. His grandson was there. And the grandson started to throw a temper tantrum. And the father is old school, not quite as old as me, but he's certainly up there. And he was stepping in, and he believes in a little swat to the rear end. And his grandson was acting up. And the father, his son, was not doing anything. And so him and his son had a little exchange about the grandson. You gotta just, you can't let the kid just run roughshod and just determine what's going to happen in any given setting. And so they had words over that. And the tendency is, do not spank a child. Believe me, they will not die. They, they may think they're going to die, but they will not die. But they, there has been this tendency in the past to overuse discipline, but used properly, it will save the child from much heartache if they understand that there are consequences to bad behavior. It also says in Proverbs 19, verse 18, it says, discipline your son. This is talking about corporal punishment. For in that, there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Especially back then, if you didn't keep your kid in line, he had a tendency to go astray. The, the culture is a lot different now. How many of you guys, when you uh, got up in the morning, you just left the house, you said, see you later, Mom, and you probably wouldn't come back until the afternoon, and she wouldn't know where you were or what you were doing? I, I did that. Did you guys do that too? Today, if the kid veers off the sidewalk in front of your house, you know, a lot of times we get very upset, and times have changed. And especially back then, you might be working in the fields, you might be elsewhere. I know going over to Africa, I would see small children alone all the time. Cambodia as well. You would see them just out doing their thing, whatever they were involved in. And we want to make sure that we give kids definite guidelines, definite discipline guidelines for their safety and their well-being. Proverbs 22.15 it says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty three thirteen, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish, men, punish him with a rod, he will not die. You see, that's scripture. The child thinks he's going to die, but he won't die. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen: The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. So... Uh, Fathers are also to encourage their sons to be rugged, tough, strong, and courageous. Now, that's for the sons. Now, I've had both a son and daughters. And the daughters, I didn't want the 
girls to grow up being rugged and tough and strong and courageous, although I want them to be courageous. I want them to be able to handle some of the difficulties of life, but they are not built the same as boys. Maybe you guys remember you men in here growing up. Uh, actually, I, I think it was Renee. Renee, uh, her husband got hit on the head or something with a golf ball. And she goes, just put some dirt on it and rub it out. You know, come on, just just take care of that thing. And that's how it used to be. Like my brother, my older brother, uh, both of them, you'd get hurt. You'd start whimpering as a child. And, and they'd turn to me and they'd say, stop crying, you little baby. You know, have my feelings. You know, they would they would do things like that. But that was kind of the culture to be tough and just toughen up a little bit because life is tough. It's hard. It's difficult to go through this life, and the men are supposed to bear the weight of that. The women were not designed to do that. Again, as I said, the biblical idea of a woman is the one who is a nurturer. Not that she can't be determined. Not that she can't do most things that men do out there when it doesn't involve necessarily strength training. But certainly on the inside, they can be determined, strong, and courageous. But on the outside, you know, it's not so much. Now, King David was encouraging his son Solomon. He said this in First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. Be strong and courageous and do the work of building the temple. Do not be afraid or discouraged, is what he said. So men have a tendency to get discouraged. And he told them, don't do it, the Lord will be with you. And the same thing applies to us. Also, the men are supposed to teach their children. They're supposed to pull them to the side and teach them how to do things. When I started working with my hands, my father got me out there and he made me work with my hands. And I wasn't too young to do that. And I'm sure most of you grew up the same way. And my father, our, our light switch in our room, it would click. You know those light switches? There are the silent ones, and then there's those that click. There's one in the hallway here. It clicks. It's the old style. My father would come in on Saturday morning, click, 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 click. Get up. It's time to go to work. You know, and we'd have to get up, and oh, I don't want to sleep. And we'd have to get up, and we'd go to work. And so he would show us what a good work ethic was, and we moaned and complained a little bit. And he'd say, stop your complaining. And then we would just fall in line. And I'm so thankful that he did that for us because it caused us not to be lazy. And certainly it is our job as husbands and fathers to provide for our children. First Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's supposed to also control the family, manage his own family well, and see that his children obey with proper respect, and also to correct the children, the discipline, as I've already gone through, and there to be an influence. And there are several scriptures of fathers in the Old Testament being an influence on their children. They followed after whatever their fathers did. One is in Second Chronicles 17, verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David and the ways he had followed. And so we are always being an influence. We're always being an example, even though we may not be aware of it. The things that we say, the way that we react, the, the attitudes that we carry, all of those things will go on from generation to generation. And there are risks with fatherhood. There are generational sins, so to speak. And that's not because of genetics. 
It's because of practice. It's because of some habit that maybe somebody has picked up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, it talks about the nation of Israel, and God is also dealing with the Hebrews through the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter. He says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. So there is this tendency to do what our fathers have done. And we're supposed to throw out the bad and cling to the good. If we know a habit is spelled out in Scripture that is wrong, we're supposed to avoid that particular habit. And theirs was rebellion. They decided to be rebellious against God, and God said, this is not good, so you need to avoid this in the future. We are not so also, or we're supposed to avoid embittering our children. And Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. In other words, hound them, degrade them, say things like, you'll never amount to anything. Why don't you get a life? You'll never have anything if you continue like that. Just berating the children. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to remember the children, the young boys and young girls, they are frail. You know, they can be easily damaged. And we sometimes don't realize how frail they are. And as men, we just want them to toughen up and grow up and and do everything that we do or we put expectations on them that are just a little high and lofty. But certainly, we are not supposed to embitter them. We are supposed to love and encourage them. Also, we're not supposed to exasperate or provoke our children to wrath. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And that's where a father would come along, maybe accuse a, one of the sons or daughters of doing something that they actually didn't do and then punishing them for that. You're going to exasperate your child. You're going to do nothing but breed rebellion. And then, as I just mentioned, First Timothy chapter 8 about taking care of your children, monetarily if you have children stepchildren if you have children that from your first marriage and maybe they're in the second marriage this verse does not take a hiatus what this simply means is if there's child support pay child support if the court demands it we're supposed to submit to those laws of the governing rulers, the authorities which are out there, according to the book of Romans. And it doesn't negate the fact that we've had the children while they're in another household now. We're supposed to provide for them. And if you get married and you have stepchildren, you're supposed to provide for them, just as if you were to adopt somebody. The Lord wants us to make sure that we are worthy of be calling, of be calling ourselves fathers, that we're not neglecting what we're supposed to be doing. And by the way, as I'm pointing out all of these things from Scripture, this isn't meant to have you go on a guilt trip, to pack your bags and say, well, you ought to feel fine now being a father, leaving this place. All I'm doing is pointing out the bar, the level which we are supposed to reach to, the right and the wrong, because Scripture tells us what right and wrong behavior is concerning fathers. And so all of these things are necessary, not to embitter our children or exasperate them, provide for them, avoid the generational sins. And if we do that, our children will reward us. It says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17, 
it does use the word son here, but this would also refer to the daughters. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. And so if you spend the time when the child is young, raising them up, they will follow with what is right and wrong as long as we're diligent to do so. We don't want to neglect our children. And so the pitfalls that we can always run into, anger, resentment towards stepchildren, if you're a proxy father, if you're, you're not there, that's a whole new thing that we really haven't addressed a lot inside the church, not this church, but just the church universal. What do you do if children come in and they're kind of rebellious inside of a household and then the, the woman who maybe had a son and then you become the father and the husband and you're mixed in a family like that, the husband and wife need to be united. And the father or the husband, the new father, the proxy father, the stepfather, he needs to have the respect and the honor of the mother. The mother cannot say, no, I don't want you disciplining my children like that. He still sets the tone for the household. And, and those people who come into the church that we have counseled before or just people that I've heard about and how a stepchild will come in, they will say, no, you can't do that. I'm sorry, when you marry, that's the way the family is supposed to operate. Whether it's a stepchild, an adopted child, a foster child, or whoever it is, the husband and wife need to be united on this. The wife needs to be submissive to the husband. The husband needs to listen to the counsel of the wife. And when those things are carried out, if you still have an impasse, seek counsel. And if you seek counsel, usually there's something in Scripture that will guide. And so is there a perfect father out there? Yeah, there's one. God. He's the one that's perfect. He knows just when to discipline. He knows just when to encourage. We, not so much. We get it wrong. We make mistakes over and over and over. I know some of the mistakes of my father, but I've held none of them against him. He did what he thought best at the time, just like Hebrew says. You know, our fathers disciplined us as they thought best at the time. And we make the same mistakes. And these things will be from generation to generation because we are fallen. We don't have it right all the time. And men tend to be solitary. They don't like to ask for directions, so to speak. It's difficult for them to do that. But that's what the men's retreats are about. And that's where men having relationship with one another, you talk about these things, how to do that. You get biblical insight. And so you have to have those relationships. Otherwise, the mistakes will be more numerous. Now, with the father, it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, as well as the mother, that we are to honor them both. Now, this is also listed in Deuteronomy when you have the Ten Commandments. We're to honor the father and the mother. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, and Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And, you know, I was listening to a Jewish scholar, and he said, you know, nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to honor anyone else now there is a scripture in first peter says honor the king so the same word is used for honoring a king that you would use for honoring your parents now it is also not stated in scripture that the children are supposed to love their parents the husband is supposed to love his wife the husband is supposed to love his enemies the husband is supposed to love his neighbor but you never see it directed where the kids are supposed to, quote-unquote, love their parents. But they are supposed to honor them. Now, this is one thing because, you know, in our society, in the world in general, 
you're going to have parents that the children will not be able to love. That they will be either abusive in some way, maybe physically, emotionally, sexually, no matter how you want to describe it, there will be families at some point in time that they will not be able to be loving or act in a loving fashion towards their parents. For whatever reason, they become disappointed, they become injured or hurt, they've been taken advantage of, whatever the case might be. But it doesn't remove the commandment to honor them. That means you pay them respect. That means you are submissive to them in, in most ways that you can think of. And so this idea, the Bible teaches us to honor them, but we may not necessarily love them. And the Bible anticipated that, that this would be the case. And this idea of honoring your father and mother, I'm just going to give you the scripture references where it says honor your father and mother. And I don't know that this is exhaustive. I have eight of them. Exodus 20.12, Deuteronomy 5.16, Matthew 15.4, Matthew 19.19, Mark 7.10, Mark 10.19, Luke 18.20, and Ephesians 6.2. How many times does God have to tell us to honor our parents? I've used this illustration before. And a child is doing something wrong and is just learning what's right and wrong. How many times do you tell them no? No, 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 no. And then as they get older, you tell them, I should only tell you no once. I should only have to tell you this once. That means they're getting trained to do what they're supposed to do. And the child is supposed to respect the parent and say, okay. That's what I'm going to do. Now, if the child refuses when they're young, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a poster out of this verse, and I want you to put this verse up on the wall inside the child's room, right at the foot of the bed, look up on the wall, and it'll be right there in bold type. If they refuse to honor their mother and father. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by ravens in the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. And so if you put that up there, you know, maybe it will help teach them to honor their parents if they are disobedient as far as honoring their parents. And and so this is really a curse to the child who refuses to honor their parents. Now, there's no question. We are to honor the king. We are to honor our parents And it's implied in Scripture that we are to honor those in a position of authority over us. And we're supposed to be kind and generous and consider others better than ourselves, those who are neighbors, those who are enemies, all of those people who are out there. And so it doesn't just apply necessarily to honoring the father and the mother and the king, but we are to show respect. We are to be people of respect, especially because this is honoring to God. And so I'm going to give you some application on this a few words for the fathers who have had their children act less than admirably or may have them do so sometime in the future have you guys um been paying attention to the news kellen winslow jr i mean you had this father that was just a star athlete and kellen winslow jr he could end up spending life in prison for rape and robbery and just all kinds of things. And you look at that and you ask yourself, was it the father and the mother that didn't apply discipline? Is that what caused 
Kellen Winslow Jr. to go off the deep end? Or was it the child just being rebellious on his own? Because there are those children who were like that. My brother is one of them. I'm not going to go into too much detail. When he was really small, my my dad, and my dad, you know, he did the best he could. And my younger, my older brother, when he was young, he probably under two, maybe around two, I think he was a toddler running around at the time, but we were told the story by my parents that my older brother was so obstinate that when he would not want to do what my father would tell him to do, he would hold his breath and pass out. And, and that was his normal habit. He, he would just, he'd turn purple and boom, he'd just go right over. And so my father, you know, what am I going to do with this kid? You know, the, and you, you have any child at some point, there may be those moments. And so my father, he goes, okay, well, I don't want him to fall over faint and hit his head and hurt himself. And so he would take him to the bathtub and turn on cold water and stick him under the water if he is holding his breath because that would cause him to breathe. <gasps> you know, And he would breathe in at that point. And you know, I thought that was a great idea uh, to do something like that. And sometimes you have to be creative. You know, He didn't want to spank him because at that point, particular point and maybe he did spank him once or twice to get him to cry just like a baby being born but if it doesn't work repeatedly i'm sure my father probably spanked him once and then he just held his breath harder you know and and he would just continue in that way and so children growing up you're gonna have those kids that are just obstinate you're gonna have the compliant child and then you're going to have the child who has a mind of their own and they don't want to be told what to do and they're going to look at you and say no and what are you going to do about it? And it's a father's job to ask God for wisdom on that because we don't have the written book. You know, you hear all these things, but in the moment, the passion, the heated turmoil that you run across, you have to think about what to do. I remember listening to people like James Dobson and James Dobson, he would have this program focus on the family, and now he has another program on. And they would have people come on and talk, and I'm listening to him intently. Well, how do you raise your children and what you do and what you're not supposed to do? And they'd come along, and they, this one guy in particular, I remember him saying, you never want to discipline your children when you're angry. And I thought to myself, do you want me to wait until I'm happy? You know, to do that in, in the heat of the moment is when you're supposed to act and they've made you angry because they're being disobedient and you've got to exercise all of this patience, but you're certainly going to be taken off guard. And so that's where the wisdom of God comes in of raising this little thing that has been made in the image of God that has his own personality and is going to do what he or she wants and you have to gently guide them. Isn't that the task of all fathers which are out there and mothers? And it's very difficult. So that with Kellen Winslow Jr., I, I don't know where the heir was. I don't know the family, but there are plenty of people like that that are raised, they were taught what was right, and they have chosen to go their own way, and they've gotten into trouble. And then Proverbs chapter 30 starts to apply. They end up in prison or they find themselves in trouble with the law in some other fashion, and it becomes difficult. And so it is our job as fathers to guide and direct them. 
So the perfect or the best father is the father which is in heaven. Now, he's in it for the long haul. He's in it not only for this life, but for all of eternity. And it takes the 70 or 80 years for most of us to run through the gauntlet of discipline that is delivered to us by God to prepare us for what lies ahead. Just as we go through maybe somewhere between 10 and 15 years of giving direction to our children, setting them up for life and what lies ahead, and then we release them for the rest of their lives. Now, they may come back and ask you for some opinions on things because maybe you have a little more experience, and that's always good. That's encouraging. That's wonderful to have that happen. But, you know, you're going to let them make their own decisions. And with that, I have seen an error in families. Families that seek to prevent their children from getting into any kind of harm or trouble. I have seen families disintegrate because of that, because the father especially wants to stop a problem from happening because a child might get hurt, either emotionally or physically. Like, for instance, the, in schools today, when it comes to bullying, we don't like bullying. But then when there's an opportunity for a bully to come and use his wares, so to speak, or exercise his freedom to be a bully, sometimes the schools aren't doing anything. It is my opinion, you teach your children, and I don't care who it is, if they are attacked in some way, to fight back and subdue and take them down. I don't care how old they are. I don't care if it's a third grader. I don't care if it's a sixth grader. I don't care if it's somebody in high school. It doesn't matter to me, and that's to be used with great restraint. But I think the children need to be taught that. And roughhousing is a part of life. Roughhousing, what will it get you? Bruises, broken bones, stitches. Before I was 10, I had been to the hospital at least four or five times for stitches. And, and that, it develops the character. You know, and, and it's important for the kids, but to try to prepare a bubble for children, especially college-age children. We don't want any harm to come to the children. That's life. Life happens to us. And so I would encourage you, let the child learn through the experiences, the problems. The more uh, years you have under your belt, the wiser you're going to become because you've seen more and you've experienced more, and you know what doesn't work and you know what does work. And those things are invaluable for the up-and-coming generation, the ones that is going to rise up uh, behind us, we want to leave behind what our fathers and our mothers have given to us. And so this idea of relying on our Father in heaven to provide for us wisdom and direction, it is great. We can look to him for encouragement. But, you know, we are preparing, as I just said, a generation for what lies ahead in the future, and we may never see the fruition of that as fathers. There's an old Greek proverb. It says, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. You know, there are generations that peop of people that have laid the groundwork for us here, and they have never seen that fruit brought to fruition. We are doing the same thing for the generations to come. So God the Father is in it for the long haul. We should be in it for the long haul. And I'm going to close with this. What kind of father are you to be? 
the kind that sits down and plays dollies and tea. Makeup and Barbies and paint on your toes while your son's desire is to play G.I. Joe's. Down on all fours, you wrestle and tickle while feeding with mayonnaise, tuna, and pickle. Stern you will be and at times broken-hearted, but laugh, oh, they will when they think you just told a joke. Wisdom talk and counsel all night you'll dispense to your children to keep them aright. Prayer is a must to keep them secure till one day you're done and before God they're pure. Trials and tests you've endured all with toil but now only wait for the grandkids to spoil. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for those who are fathers, the husbands, the ones who bear the burdens. And Father, I pray that if there are any discouraged, maybe their children haven't turned out the way they want or they're having difficulty even now, I pray that you would bear them up. You are the lifter of our heads. And we know that as we trust in you and we lay our plans before you, our plans will still yet succeed. So, Father, may you be blessed by our our reliance on you. And, Father, may you encourage those men who are here. And may you give wisdom to the women that support them. In Jesus' name, amen.